Okay, Chuck Wilson, New Hope Community Church, and we are going into Revelation 11 today. Revelation 11, 1 to 14, and the title is Mystery Men. Mystery Men, the two witnesses. The two witnesses in Revelation, the mystery men. Wait till we see this there. Now, I remember visiting Israel 35 years ago. It's hard to believe it was that long ago. Um, it was an amazing trip, going on the trip to Israel with a church group. Our, our church took a, a tour group there. I, we saw the, the Sea of Galilee and, and the ghetto where Armageddon is going to be and the smoke. There was a smoke column coming up into the air. It was like prophetic. It was crazy to see that. We saw Masada, went up to Masada. Wow, that was crazy. Uh, saw Jesus' tomb, and we were in Jerusalem, and also in Jerusalem we went to the temple site, the temple site, but there's no temple there. There's just a wall, the wailing wall, where we had to put these caps on, and we would write our little prayers and stick them into the wall for God, although we know he hears us anywhere, but that's a, that's a sacred place, a holy place. And um, the people call it the wailing wall because they're crying because there's no temple. There's a mosque up on the temple site, the Dome of the Rock. It's the second most holy site to the Muslims. The first, the most holy site to Muslims is in Mecca, the birthplace of Muhammad. But Jerusalem is the second most holy site and there's a mosque up there. And the Muslims are very concerned. They're worried and they should be because God has promised that site to the Israel. And he is also says a temple will be rebuilt on that very spot. And they're very concerned. In fact, uh, they should be because God promised that also there's also preparations already being made to build, rebuild the temple, the, the third temple. The seminary and is training priests that will be able to minister there. They've already made the clothing, the robes and everything and the instruments that are going to be used. It's all there. there the archaeologists have been tunneling all underneath the temple site. It's, it's honeycombed, uh, finding different places where the temple, you know, different things about the temple under there. It, it's very tense. There's been lots of riots there. Very, very tense. I wouldn't be surprised if any day now we hear of something happening that clears that temple mount, a, a, a bomb, an explosion that destroys it. I remember when we were there, we were at the, the, um, we were at the Welling Wall and we we're all sitting there and standing there and, and talking to our tour guide and all of a sudden we heard this explosion, this big boom and everybody looked around all nervous, all nervous and, and he says, it's a, it's a sonic boom. You never heard a jet fly over before? It's no big deal. We're like, oh, okay. Sure sounded like a bomb to me. Uh, we get back to the hotel and turn on the news and sure enough, there was a bomb blew up right, right near us. Uh, somebody threw a, a bomb into a bus, a grenade or something, some kind of explosive device, device threw it into a tour bus, uh, and, and blew something up. It was crazy. So, and our tour guide knew he served in the military. He was trying to calm us down. But, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if, if there was something happens. Something traumatic, dramatic event happens that clears the way for the temple to be rebuilt. We're not sure how it will happen, whether it's a war, whether there'll be diplomacy, whether they're going to share the mount somehow, we don't know, but we know that the temple will be rebuilt because God's word says it will be rebuilt. Uh, not just in Revelation, all throughout the, the Old Testament, the prophecies of the temple are going to be rebuilt for when the Messiah comes again. We know that. That's where replacement theology, which says that the Christian church has replaced Israel 
completely replace them. That's where they, they are being exposed as a false teaching. It's really a false teaching. That it's, and when the third temple, when God's temple is rebuilt there, it's going to be exposed as a false teaching that it is. In fact, uh, there was a local evangelical pastor in our area, I don't know what it's like where you are, but in our area that was was mocking the whole idea that the temple would be rebuilt. He actually preaches, mocked that the temple would be rebuilt. He said, I was in Israel. Can you believe there's people, Christians, that believe the temple is going to actually be rebuilt on this site? Can you believe that? Because he's replacement theology. Jews, Israel means nothing. We are the new Israel. And, and there won't be, all this is all just, you know, symbolic. You know, but, but he, he was mocking that. And, I, and it's, can you believe people actually believe, believe that? Uh, yeah, because it's taught in God's Word. God's Word. You, and I was thinking you should try preaching God's Word sometime instead of all the social issues you've been preaching about. Uh, don't get me started on that. And, and now this guy's been exposed as a, a, a for lots of false teaching. Now he's been exposed since that time over the years. He's been exposed for lots of false teaching. He he was always been a functional false teacher, leaving out parts of the Bible that 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 might offend people. Uh, you know, things about discipleship and and and, and God's holiness, all that kind of stuff. Uh, functional false teaching, and finally God had enough, and God said, "I'm going to replace you." So he's been replaced. Uh, God God puts up with a lot. Talk about replacement theology, right? God puts up with a lot, but finally we cross a line and that goes for false teachers and that goes for the whole world someday is going to finally cross the line and God says that's enough and that's what we're going to see here in Revelation 11 God says this is it that's enough let's pray Father I just pray that your word would would convict your word would renew us your word would lead us to truth And we would speak that truth in love to people all around us, Father. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Revelation 11. I'm going to read the first 14 verses. We'll finish next time. uh, Finish up with that. But in Revelation 11, this is wild. The mystery men, the two witnesses. I was... I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, Go and measure the temple of God and the altar and count the worshippers there. But exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. And I will give power to my two witnesses who will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. These men have power to shut up the sky so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. And they have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Now when they had finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the street of the great city which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt where also their Lord was crucified for three and a half days. Men from every people, tribe, language and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet and terror struck those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they went up to heaven and in a 
in a cloud while their enemies looked on. At that very hour, there was a severe earthquake and a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed. The third woe is coming. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. So, first of all, we start with verses 1 and 2 again. In verses 1 and 2, we see the temple. I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar and count the worshipers there, but exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. So, we see the temple here. He says, go and measure the temple. Now, this is 90 A.D., when John gets his vision, he's being told to do this. And there was no temple. <laughs> there was no temple. There still isn't a temple. The first temple destroyed. The second temple destroyed, right? But the first one destroyed by the Babylonians. The second one destroyed by the Romans. But here, in the book of Revelation, in the end times, the last seven years of the late great planet Earth, there will be a temple, during the tribulation, there will be a temple. The We know from the whole book of Revelation that which we've been studying and going to study some more, the Antichrist will make a seven-year deal with Israel. Somehow, this will be a land, peace, for temple uh, a deal. He's going to make this deal and, and give them the temple site, let them rebuild their temple. And, for, and then uh, three and a half years into the deal, the seven-year deal, three and a half years into it, he's going to stab him in the back. He's going to set up his own image in the temple. We're going to see that later in Revelation. He's going to break the deal. That's why he says it says the Gentiles will trample. The Gentiles will trample the second half of the tribulation. The Antichrist and the Gentiles will trample the, the temple site. They will trample on Israel. They will dominate the Jerusalem and the Jews. You talk about anti-Semitism. You talk about a holocaust. That's what's going to happen in, in the, uh, the last three and a half years. It's going to be a holocaust for Christians too. It's intense persecution. Yet God measures. He says, go and measure. God measures. He says, I own this temple. Not the Antichrist. I'm going to, I'm going to turn it over to the Gentiles and the Antichrist for three and a half years. But, but, but he's going to set up his idol, but it's still my temple. And I will preserve. He, God will preserve his remnant, his godly remnant. But, and God will also have two Still, even though this time is the time of the Gentiles and trampling on Israel, God will still have two witnesses. He will still have a witness during a testimony during this time of tribulation, during this very, very dark time. First of all, we already saw there's going to be 144,000 from the tribe of Israel. Uh, different tri 12 tribes, 144,000. Each tribe will have... 12,000 representatives and they will be powerful witnesses for the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who is coming back again very soon here. And also there's two other key witnesses here. Verse 3, And I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouth and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. These men have power to shut up the sky so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying and they will have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Woo. So we see these two witnesses. Two witnesses are always required in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Two, required, two witnesses are always required to confirm truth. To confirm truth. Who are they? Who are these mystery men? Who are these guys? 
they could be two individuals with very special anointing. The Holy Spirit has poured out them. They could be alive in Israel right now, these two guys. But I believe most likely these are two time travelers. Two time travelers right from the Old Testament. I believe that this is who they are. Some people say, well, that's too supernatural. Well, <laughs> the Bible is supernatural, first of all. But the whole book of Revelation, uh, you know, look what they do. It's supernatural. The whole book of Revelation is supernatural. This is not a stretch by any means. And, and it's, I think it's pretty clear pretty much who they are based on the rest of the Bible. The first one is easy. first one is pretty easy to figure out who the first one of these is. It's Elijah. Elijah is the first one. He never died. Remember the fiery chariot? He was taken up in a fiery chariot. He was raptured in a fiery chariot. Never died, but we know everybody has to die. Hebrews 9.27, just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. So everyone has to die. Alright, so, uh, and, and also this, um, also the reason I think it's Elijah, pretty clear it's Elijah, is he causes a drought, just like Elijah did. Three and a half years, just like Elijah did. Alright, but the clincher is Malachi 4. <clears throat> In Malachi 4, verse 5, it says this, See, the prophecy, see, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. So we know Elijah's going to come before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Before this, Jesus comes again, Elijah is going to come. So pretty clear, the first one is Elijah. The second one, who could the second one be? Some think it's Enoch, who the Bible says walked with God and was no more in Genesis 5. And so the thinking is perhaps he didn't die. Now he could have died and God just took him. Most likely that's what happened, but we're not sure what happened. But some people say, well, that could be Enoch. Uh, because he maybe he didn't die, perhaps he didn't die. <clears throat> but I think someone else fits much better than Enoch here, and that is Moses. Yes, you got that. I'm sure all of you got that. Moses. Moses, just like here, turned water to blood. Remember the plagues. Uh, remember during the 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 the, um, the first Exodus, all these things very similar happened, and now we are coming to the second Exodus. Right when we're going to be taken, you know, by God, Second Exodus. That's what Revelation is all about. And Jewish tradition says that Moses and Elijah would return in the last days to prepare for the Messiah. There's a Jewish tradition based on that, and uh, very likely that's who this is. In fact, in Deuteronomy 34, God took Moses' body and buried it and hid it. Okay, he hid it, and it, and not only he wasn't, he was hiding it for a very specific purpose. In fact, in Jude verse nine, Jude only has one chapter. In verse nine, it says this: But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, "The Lord rebuke you." He, the archangel Michael, battled for the body of Moses. Didn't let it, didn't let him have it. And the idea is that he didn't. Moses' body never decayed. Never decayed. Mary's not the one who didn't see decay. There's only one person in the Bible that didn't, and that's Moses, okay? Sorry, that was made up by a pope, but we won't go there today. But anyway, uh, but, but the, he's the only one that did not see decay. The only person who actually died and did not see decay was Moses. And that's why Michael, Archangel Michael, would not give up his body to Satan to, to decay. <clears throat> so Moses... Because he's never decayed, his body somewhere is perfectly preserved by God, so he can now be resurrected. 
resurrected. And now you have two individuals. One represents the resurrected, and that is Moses, and one represents those who are raptured, that is Elijah, the two different people. We also have two representatives here for for uh, God's confirming the truth. You have a representative for the law, which is Moses. Moses and the law are used inseparably, interchangeably. But we also uh, have one from the prophets, Elijah. So the law and the prophets. And that's that who, that who over and over we see in the Bible that the law and the prophets confirm that Jesus is the Messiah. They confirm Jesus is the Messiah. In fact, in Matthew 9, verse 2, with the transfiguration, in Matthew uh, wait, did I see? I'm oh, sorry, Mark. Mark chapter nine, verse two. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up on a high mountain where they were all alone. Then he was transfigured before him. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses. Elijah and Moses, who were talking with. Jesus. So we see the same thing here. The, the law and the prophets and, and, and Moses, body preserved. Elijah, raptured. We see both of them here coming back in the book of Revelation. And it talks about them being two olive trees and two lampstands. Now, they, this imagery prophetically comes from Zechariah 4 where Zerubbabel and Joshua were encouraging the Jews, a different Joshua than the book of Joshua, were encouraging the Jews who were returning from the first exile. They were incurring them. And now we have the ultimate fulfillment of Zechariah 4 here where two witnesses encouraged the Jews to preserve persevere to persevere in the final exile. In fact, let's just read a couple of verses there from Malachi. And in uh, Malachi, uh, let me see here. I'm sorry, Zechariah 4. Did I not mark that? I didn't mark it. I'm going to have to look it up. Zechariah 4, verse 11, where it says, Zechariah 4, verse 11 and through 14. Here we go. Then I asked the angel, what are these two olive trees on the right and left of the lampstand? Again, I asked him, what are these two olive branches beside the two gold pipes that pour out the oil? He replied, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I said. So he said, these are the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth. And that was the prophetic picture which is being fulfilled here. The two that are going to serve and, and witness for God. Moses and Elijah witnessing, encouraging them to persevere in the final exile. And, he, and they work to counter the Antichrist, his deception and false miracles. That's what he's working, they will work to do. Just like that's our job today to, to offset the spirit of the Antichrist and his deception. That's our job. But that was their job is to counter the Antichrist deception and false miracles. They have fire, it says here back in Revelation 11, they have fire, verses 3 to 6, they have fire from their mouth. Yeah, they probably, three and a half years, they probably didn't brush their teeth or use, you know, use mouthwash. <laughs> but, but they have fire. That's their self-defense. They could shoot it out. And, and it brings to mind, once again, Elijah on Mount Carmel calling down fire from heaven. Also, there was no rain for three and a half years. Just like with Elijah, three and a half years. It reminds us of James 5, 17 and James 5, 17 and 18 where it says, 
Did I not mark that one either? Uh, no, here we go. I got it. Uh, James 5.17, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain for three and a half years. Again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crop. So he, he prayed for a, a drought for that three and a half years. Uh, and, and the idea of it in, in, in with Elijah the first time, Back in First Kings, the idea was to call the people to repentance. He was trying to get the people to repentance. And that's the same idea here in Revelation. Anybody who does not have the mark of the Antichrist on their forehead, they have still have the chance to repent and turn to God. But it's also, the fire also was judgment. The prophets of Baal were killed. Those who wouldn't follow God were judged by, by the fire coming down. That was their judgment, a sign of their judgment that was coming upon Israel. And the same idea here, this fire that they shoot out, uh, I'm sorry, the, the drought, the drought for three and a half years was, was to call the, the godly back to re, the people with a chance for repentance, call them back to repentance, but it was a sign of judgment on Baal and the prophets and, and Ahab and Jezebel. It was a sign. And it's this same thing here with this drought that they call. It's to try to draw those who don't have the mark of the Antichrist to repentance, but it's also a sign of judgment. It's a sign of judgment. Everything they do here is a sign of judgment. The water to blood, the plagues, the fire, the drought. It's to punish those who are already, it's to punish the Antichrist and those who are following the Antichrist. It's to punish them, just like Pharaoh, when he was oppressing, the, uh, the Pharaoh and the Egyptians were oppressing the, the, the Jews and Moses. Uh, the same idea, those, the plagues came and judged them, and, but also set the, God's people free. These judgments come here in Revelation. They're going to judge the Antichrist and his followers, but they're going to help set free uh, the, those who are coming to faith or those who already have put their faith in, in Christ or those who have been marked for faith by God, the godly remnant. They're going to be, this is all preparing them for their final exodus. Okay? So, after they finish their witness, so something happens in verses 7 to 10. We see something happens. Oh, uh, here we go. Verse 7, now when they had finished their testimony, keep that in mind, finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified for three and a half days, men from every tribe, Every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. We see the death of the two witnesses, but not till they had finished their testimony. Not till then. We are immortal. Understand something. Those who are afraid of dying and something happening, we are immortal until our time has been decided by God. We are immortal until we finish our calling, God's purpose for our life. Whether you're a parent and you're worried, oh, what's going to happen to my kids? Listen, you're immortal until God decides you've done what your job with your kids. Uh, same with kids and parents. We're afraid about my parents dying. Listen, they can't die until their job is done. Uh, ministry. We, we can't, you know, we, nothing can happen to us in ministry. We don't have to be afraid of the world or afraid of the enemies of Christ. We don't have to be afraid of anything because nothing can happen. I've done ministry in some pretty crazy areas and people said, you're crazy. You shouldn't be doing it today. Like, nothing can touch us. If we're where God wants us to be, Nothing can touch us unless God allows it until our purpose has been fulfilled. 
Nothing. Uh, if you're a soldier, if you're a police officer, if you're a frontline worker with coronavirus, COVID, nothing can touch you. Nothing can take you until God says your purpose is complete. Remember that. Learn. This is a reminder of that fact. Same with everybody with COVID. So many people living in total fear, paralyzed about the coronavirus. And I'm not saying we should be flippant about it or not, you know, use, use common sense or good judgment. But we shouldn't be terrified because we are in God's hands. God's got this. Listen to that sermon. Uh, it's still a year ago. Listen to it. God's got this. We, we are in God's hands under his protection. Nothing can happen to us until God says it can, until our purpose, until his purpose for our life is complete. Remember that, okay? Uh, and and it's, it was true here in Revelation. It's true everywhere. We are under God's protection. In fact, I was reading A Voice of the Martyrs some years ago, and I, the title for this this story is who is jesus it's in bangladesh we uh the guy uh, well i'll just read it uh, we had the house surrounded if abu wanted to be a christian he'd have to do it somewhere else we surrounded his house ready to force him out and burn it this is a, a terrorist in bangladesh trying to force a christian in their village out kill him if necessary whatever it took he says as we got closer they they, they were coming to uh, to attack his house burn it drive the family out kill him if necessary as we got closer to the house we could hear him talking but we didn't know with whom he was speaking had he gathered others to help him we wondered then we could hear that he was praying he was praying for the entire village and asking Jesus to forgive us for what we were about to do. This made us even angrier because we thought someone had told Abu about our plan. We rushed toward his house, 25 of us, to apprehend him. But there was an invisible force that would not let any of us enter his home. It was so frightening that we left. I could not sleep that night. I kept thinking about Abu's prayer. Did he really... Did we really not know what, did he really, I'm sorry, did we really not know what we were about to do by attacking him? I couldn't get the experience out of my mind. Finally, at 3 a.m., I went back to Abu's house. This time, the invisible force let this terrorist through. <laughs> he said, who is Jesus, I asked him. After three hours of talking with Abu, I asked Jesus to forgive me and surrendered my life to him. Jesus saved me. I rushed home and woke up my family and shared what had happened with my wife, and she also became a Christian along with all of my children. Wow. We are under God's protection. We're under God's protection. It's saying the truth. But but these guys, their God's purpose was fulfilled for them, it said here. Their, their purpose was finished, and then the beast will we'll see will kill them at that time. This is the first time the Antichrist is mentioned in Revelation the Beast, talking about the Antichrist, the fake Christ, the counterfeit Christ who's gonna take over the world, uh and and he will he will this he kills them and he won't let their bodies be buried, which is the ultimate insult. But <laughs> God had a reason for not letting them be buried either. Wait till we see what happens. Well we already read about what happens. Uh Jerusalem it says this happens in Jerusalem where Jesus was crucified, it says. It's called Sodom uh, for moral wickedness and Egypt, Egypt for oppression. Uh, we know that uh, in the time of, of John that the Jewish leaders were oppressing the followers of Jesus Christ. The, the Jewish followers of Jesus Christ were being oppressed by the Jewish leaders. But in that, that, that persecution is a picture of this. But also it's much bigger than that because the Antichrist 
has now taken over Jerusalem at this time. He is the mayor of Jerusalem. And think about what that would be like. Think of back to the future when Biff, remember the second one where Biff has, has ruined you know, the, the, the town that they live in. He's turned it into a horrible place. It's, it's that kind of picture. Or, or a wonderful life when Mr. Potter, without, without George Bailey, Mr. Potter now is in charge. And, and he has ruined that George Bailey's hometown, okay? That was, that, that's kind of a picture of what has happened to Jerusalem. It's become horrible spiritually. Horrible. Think about Satan running a town. You know, imagine what it would be like to have Satan as the mayor. A lot of people are upset about, you know, uh, Cuomo in New York, the governor of New York and all the mess he's made of New York City. Uh, you know, they, they, but he's, Satan would make Cuomo and de Blasio combined look like a really, like a really nice guy. That's what he, that's how bad it's going to be. He's, he's going to be the mayor of Jerusalem and it's going to be horrible. And so for three and a half days, the whole world will watch. They're going to stare at these dead bodies left out to rot. Think about this, how wicked that is. And, and the whole world will watch this. This couldn't happen until now. Had, now we have TVs. Now we have cell phones. Now we have computers. Now we have satellite technology. The whole world is going to be able to watch this happen. It couldn't happen until now, but now it could definitely happen. And, and this event sparks an anti-Christmas, uh, anti-Christmas celebration. There has not been Christmas for three and a half, I'm sorry, no, seven, for seven years there's been no Christmas. The Antichrist has banned it. You know, there's not going to be any Christmas, but they're going to finally have their Christmas here. After seven years, they're going to have this anti-Christmas celebration, a nightmare before Christmas. That's what this is. And, and, and they're going to actually give each other gifts. They haven't had Christmas seven, seven years. They're going to be giving each other gifts, having a Christmas celebration. You, you, we don't have to listen to those fanatics preach anymore. Uh, you know, these, you know, don't have to listen to them anymore. These tormentors who have preached about Jesus Christ and holiness and the judgment that's coming. Nobody wants to hear that. And, and they, they, they don't have to listen anymore. They have a big celebration. This is the only time in Revelation that there's rejoicing on earth. There's rejoicing in heaven in lots of different places. But the only time in the book of Revelation there's rejoicing on the earth is here. The rest of the time, there's not going to be anything they're going to rejoice about. But even here, they're not going to either, as we're going to see. But they're rejoicing the only time because these two witnesses of Jesus Christ have been murdered by the Antichrist. That's how wicked the earth has become at this point. Not hard to picture, is it? Uh, verses 11 and 12, though, we see what happens. It puts an end to their celebration. In verse 11, But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and terror struck those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here! And they went up to heaven and in a cloud while their enemies looked on. Woo! Look at the parallels with Jesus Christ and his ministry. They ministered for three and a half years. They, they died. They were killed in Jerusalem, martyred in Jerusalem. <clears throat> After three days, they were resurrected. Look at these. And then there's an ascension with the clouds up into heaven. The, the parallels with Jesus Christ. These are, these, these men are, uh, uh, confirming the truth of Jesus Christ. And then, then he, he same thing happens with them. It's crazy with, with their ministry. As it happened with his ministry. It terrifies everybody watching. Everybody's watching CNN because that's all they'll be watching by, in the book of Revelation. You know, completely, 
fake news, completely fake. They're all, everybody's going to be watching CNN because they won't be watching any other shows. Now, the party is over. The party is over. The worldwide Mardi Gras comes to a screeching halt, a crashing halt. And, and to talk about crash, verse 13, at that very hour, there was a severe earthquake and a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of of heaven. The God of heaven, there's a massive earthquake, a tenth of the city is destroyed, 7,000 are killed, but the survivors gave glory to God. This is the start of the Jewish revival, the start of the remnant that is getting ready for the Messiah, Jesus Christ, to come again. Woo! Wild. It's going to get more wild as we go. Wait to get wild as we go. But what did God use to impact to, to draw the remnant there to not the ones with the Antichrist, but the others, the remnant that hadn't received the mark. What did God use to, to impact these unbelievers? The witnesses and their suffering and death and then resurrection power. Witness plus suffering and death equals resurrection power. And we see the same thing in Philippians 3. In Philippians 3, where it talks about this very thing, he says, I, Paul talking says, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. Oh, we all like that. And the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. I'm going to read that again. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. That is our goal. That's what we all should be striving for. As we witness, as we witness to others, and as other people see how we handle life's tribulations and suffering, and they see God's re- resurrection power, they see the resurrection power of Jesus Christ in our lives. That's what will reach people. That's what will witness to people. That's what will be bring people to Christ when they see it. And you might feel like you you feel like you're not making any kind of impact, and you don't like being where you are. And why does God have me here? You ever feel that way? I do a lot. I do a lot. Why does God even have me here? What change is happening? But God is working His purpose. He wants us to be a witness. He wants people to see us with His power, resurrection power in the midst of our tribulations. He wants us to impact people. We have no idea what God may be doing in and through us. I'm going to article from right after 9-11. I saved it. I never forgot this. It's called A Light in the Darkness. A Light in the Darkness was in Focus on the Family, uh, September 2002. It says, Al Braca was a beam of hope for people caught in a desperate situation. Listen, this is unbelievable. The morning of September 11th, Janine Jeannie, I'm sorry, Jeannie Braca switched on the television to check the weather report only to hear that a plane had just hit the World Trade Center. Jeannie's husband, Al, worked as a, as a corporate bond trader for Cantor Fitzgerald. His office was on the 105th floor of Tower One. Jeannie hadn't spoken to Al since he had left for work that morning. A year earlier, Jeannie had suffered a severe heart attack and had only about 16% of her heart functioning properly. 
That's why no one told her. The family didn't tell her when they had heard that the towers had collapsed. No one told her because they were afraid what would happen to her heart. Al, <clears throat> there for a reason. Al had survived the World Trade Center bombing in 1993. He had survived that one. <clears throat> Even helped a woman with asthma escape from the building. Jeannie didn't think it would be any different. This time, I knew he would stop to help people and, and minister to people. But I never thought for a minute that he wouldn't come back to me. That he wouldn't make it home. Later in the evening, her sons broke the news about the towers and they let her know that, that he had died. A week later, Al's body was found in the rubble. Then responses, reports started trickling in from friends and acquaintances. Some people on the 105th floor had made a last call or sent a final email to a loved one saying that a man was leading people in prayer. A few, few referred to Al by name. When he realized they were all trapped in the building and would not be able to escape, Al shared the gospel with a group of 50 co-workers and led them in prayer. The news came as no surprise to Jeannie. For years, she and Al had been praying for salvation of these men and women. According to Jeannie, Al hated his job. Hated his job. But he, could, he couldn't stand the work environment. It was... Sorry. He couldn't stand the work environment. He didn't want to work there. He wanted to quit. He wanted to leave. Uh, he, it was a, it was a world so completely out of touch with his Christian values, but he wouldn't quit. He was convinced that God wanted him to stay there to be a light in the darkness. To that end, Al freely shared his faith with his co-workers, many of whom sarcastically nicknamed him the Rev. They mocked him, Jeannie recalls, but when horrible things happen in their lives, they always ask Al for prayer. Crazy. On September 11th, in the midst of the chaos, Al's family was uppermost in his mind. Unable to get through on the phone, Al asked the MCI operator to contact his family. Tell them that I love them, he said. It took the operator more than a month to reach his family, but the message brought much-needed comfort. The last thing my dad was involved with were two things that he cared about the most, his family and God. He, he ends up his last moments remembering his family and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with these people this close to eternity. We are all this close to eternity. Everybody around us, COVID has just brought that out. We are always one breath from eternity, one heartbeat away. Everybody's, why are people so freaked out? Why are they so scared? 
of COVID because they're terrified. They don't know where they're going. We know where they're going. But they don't. I remember being on top of the World Trade Center. And, uh, and I remember the first time going, and when you were on your way up, they gave you this, this, this tongue-in-cheek, you know, advertisement for the World Trade Center. And the title was, The Closest Some of Us Will Ever Get to Heaven. I saved that. I still have it in my file. The Closest Some of Us Will Ever Get to Heaven. They said it tongue-in-cheek, joking. But it's true. It was the closest that those people in the World Trade Center's would ever get if they didn't know Jesus Christ and put their faith in him and give their life to him. Even at that last moment, they could have done it. Just like a thief on the, like the thief on the cross. That's why people are terrified of COVID. Even people don't have to be afraid. They're young and they don't have any secondary issues and they're children. They're terrified because they don't know where they're going. They have never put their faith in Jesus Christ. We have the truth. We need to speak the truth in love to be a light in the darkness. To finish our job just like Al did. To realize that that's why we're in this place. The place we might not want to be in. But we're here because God has us here as a witness for His purpose. How about you? Do you have that assurance? What if you're on the top of the World Trade Center and you know that it's going to go down any moment and there's no escape? Would you have peace would you have that peace? Would you be able to give other people that peace? How are you doing with the COVID? Maybe you even thought you were a Christian, but the terror has showed you that maybe you don't have that assurance of salvation that you thought you had, that we should have. Do you have that assurance of salvation, that comfort, that joy, that peace, no matter what is going on? Do you have that resurrection power? You can have that. Now, you can have what Al had right this moment. You can have it. John 3.16, which is probably the verse Al was was sharing with them. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loved us so much that he gave his Son Jesus to die on the cross for us, to pay for our sin, to take our sin on himself. He took our punishment. He took our shame. He took the law that we have broken on himself and died with that. But he didn't stay dead. He came back from the dead to prove he was the Son of God. To prove that uh, uh, Romans 1.4 who through the Spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the God, dead, Jesus our Lord. That's what, Jesus, that's what the Holy Spirit proved that Jesus was the Son of God, the one and only Son of God who took our sin and he proved it by resurrecting him from the dead. That, the resurrection is what proved it. If you will put your faith for, who, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If you will put the word believe doesn't mean to believe in your head. It means to believe in your heart. The Greek word, word means to put your faith in. To give your life to. To put your complete trust in. Your complete dependence on. If you will put your faith in Jesus Christ, his death on that cross, his resurrection to give you a brand new life, if you will put your faith in him, you will never have to fear death again because you cannot die. You can just take a, a hop, skip, and a jump to heaven to eternal life. You won't have to fear the, 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 a collapse of a burning building. You won't have to fear eternity in hell anymore. You won't have to fear anything because you'll know that God's purpose 
will be fulfilled in your life. Nothing can touch you without your Heavenly Father's protection. And you can have that now by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Do you want that peace? Do you want that assurance? Do you want that confidence? Do you want that courage? Do you want to know where you're going to go? Someday. This life here is a, 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 a blip in eternity. A blip in our life of eternity. But it makes all the difference what you do here for eternity. You can put your faith in Jesus Christ right now. You can pray the prayer of faith. It starts with, God, I repent. I repent of my sin. I turn away from my sin. I don't want the world and the garbage and Satan's lies anymore. I repent. I ask you to forgive me because I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ, your one and only Son. I put my faith in Jesus. Forgive me because I'm putting my faith in Jesus. I'm going to follow you. I give my life to you, God. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. If you have prayed that prayer of faith, you now have life. A real life here on earth. Real life. With the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And it's a life that goes on throughout all of eternity. You will never die. You'll, you'll shed this body and get a brand new one. Have you put your faith in Jesus? If you've taken that step of faith, everything has changed. Your life will never be the same. I want to encourage you to tell somebody. You have a Christian friend. You have an owl in your life that you know is a Christian. They may be even witnessing to you. Let them know. If you're nearby, let me know. I'll encourage you. I'll be excited for you and encourage you and help you to grow spiritually. For those of us who are Christians, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? How is God using suffering and tribulation in our life, struggles in our life to show others the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. They may never read a Bible, but they will read our lives. How is God doing that? Maybe you are like Al, stuck somewhere you don't want to be. But our prayer is, God, I know I'm here for a reason. I don't like it, but I love being where you want me to be. Use me. Use my struggles and tribulations to show your resurrection power to others around me. Father, I pray that for each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Wow. Wow. It's going to get even more convicting next time.